Just looking at that, looking at and listening to the bell, it it, uh, it was like a a manifestation of the heart of the practice in a way. Is that that uh, symbol of emptiness? There's, there's nothing much there, and it's the it's the the hollow, it's the the space that creates that beautiful vibration. If it was just a lump of crystal, and it wouldn't it would just go boom. But it's the the space that creates the beautiful sound and vibration, and uh, somehow it's also to me it was like a, a symbol of love, of, of such a, such a beautiful healing sound. And at the heart of our practice, of the, at the heart of the practice, are the two qualities of of emptiness and love, or wisdom and compassion. And. Um, I want to just do a little guided meditation, not to go straight into a talk. So if you want to find a posture that's comfortable and upright. I'd like to invite you to connect with your heart center. You may already be there. If it feels a little distant, just you can just put your hand on your heart. You can just imagine that there's a a sun shining, just a small little light shining in your heart center. There's warmth and radiance. Just as we experience when the sun comes out, you know, if it's a if it's a grey day or a cloudy day, and then the sun comes out, it brings a smile to people's faces. I come from a place where it rains a lot. And when the sun comes out, you really notice the difference. So just letting that the warmth of that light bring a smile to your heart. Let the, the light radiate throughout the whole of your body. And just like everything, you know, if we if we give attention to something, it gets stronger. If we ignore, it shuts down, goes away. It's the same with our heart. We need to bring, just bringing attention to the heart center. I find it really helpful with the breath. Every in-breath, just breathing into the heart space. <laughs> 
And every out-breath letting go of what might be obstructing. That little light is nourished by the in-breath, just as the, a flame needs oxygen to burn. Let it radiate in every direction so that it warms and vibrates every cell in your body, just as the bell, the sound of that beautiful bell resonates throughout our whole body. The touch is the open places and the hidden places, painful places, the numb places. Just like the sun shines on all things equally. And if you find you've just got a tiny little glimmer going on, that's, that's good too. Just take care of that little glimmer of light. So one of the qualities of metta Karuna Mudita Upeka of the four um, divine abidings or the four heart qualities that the Buddha speaks about. Um, one of the, the qualities is uh, boundlessness. So boundless benevolence, boundless compassion, boundless appreciation of the good fortune of others boundless equanimity. We can let our heart just open 
without holding it back, without boundaries. Doesn't mean we have to let it go on forever and ever, push it out there. We just take the boundaries away. As though we're pulling back a curtain or a veil and just letting the light of metta, benevolence shine in all directions naturally. Just as naturally as our attention allows it to shine. It could be beaming out into the cosmos or it could just be like a little tiny flickering light. It's all good. We let the rays of that light keep going beyond the limits of this body if they want to reach that far. Just let them keep going, touching the people around us and any beings we may not be able to see above us or below us. So in all directions. With each breath, we keep nourishing that light. Just letting that sense of benevolence move into compassion. 
that which feels with the suffering of others, the pain of others. If we're not in contact with our own heart, we cannot feel compassion for others. We just feel anger, fear, resentment, desire. Those qualities keep us perpetually caught. The quality of compassion is generous and liberating. Just like as the sun is setting, it's going down into the depths. It appears to be, it's not really, but it appears to be going down into the depths of the earth. That compassion, we're willing to go down into the painful places, our own and those of others, and bring some light there. This world needs a lot of compassion.
And mudita, a sense of rejoicing in the goodness that manifests that, uh, in people's success, in good actions, in the beauty of nature. Mudita. Letting that radiate indiscriminately. Just like the sun, the morning sun catches a dewdrop and lets it shine like a jewel. Something as simple as a droplet of water becomes like a jewel in the morning sun. And this is similar with mudita. Not getting jealous because the droplet is more beautiful than we are. Rejoicing. Letting the heart expand, make space, open. And upeka, equanimity. This is uh, an image like the moon, full moon, reflecting the sun. So we're not seeing the sun directly, it's not hurting our eyes, it's not warming us. But there's this beauty, radiance of the full moon. So this is like upeka. The English translation is equanimity, but uh, if you translate it more literally, it's like seeing from a bird's eye perspective, seeing a bigger picture, taking in the wholeness, success and failure, birth, aging and death. 
the natural cycles of life. We can still rejoice in a birth, new being coming into the world. And we know that one day that little one, maybe maybe as an adult or maybe a very old person, will die, like all of us. When the heart is open to this truth, there's peace. There's acceptance. We can live more fearlessly, more truly. Allowing that gentle, spacious quality of upeka to radiate in all directions. When we practice with the Brahma Viharas, sometimes we can experience that openness and the heart is really resonating just as when the bell is struck next to us, we feel the resonance of the sound. It can be like that. And sometimes we just feel like, hmm, there's not much going on in there. Can't connect. Or maybe even feel angry because uh, oh no, somebody's making me do this thing that I can't do now. And uh, a sense of frustration. So it's a very, very important practice. It's uh, repeatedly throughout the scriptures the Buddha speaks about cultivating the Brahma Viharas. And uh, it can be more comfortable to look at the emptiness practices and the wisdom practices. And they can be kind of lofty and make us feel really kind of important and good at our practice, you know, clever. And the heart practices, you know, the, the head, the intellect doesn't, is, is kind of irrelevant, relatively irrelevant during the, the heart practices. And it can be a little uh, challenging for, for some minds. But it's very, very important to, to cultivate the heart, 
as well as the, the head. And we live in a culture where the, the, the intellect is, is tops. You know, it's, it's all about being smart and having a good intellect. And so we're, we're trained in that from a young age, many people. And uh, so we have to pay particular attention to cultivating the heart in our practice to get some sense of balance. And uh, what's beautiful in the, in the Buddha's teaching is that the, the qualities of the heart practice are not separate from, they don't, they're not like you do this practice and then, then you do this other practice, which is more like the insight practice or the, the awakening practice, but that the heart practices can naturally lead to the, because we're, we're opening the heart, we're, we're letting go of the position of self in order to allow the heart to open. <coughs> we're letting go of the strong sense of self and other and of differentiation. It's just radiating. It's like the sun or the moon. So naturally that leads into the, the wisdom practices of, of recognizing the... You know, the, the emptiness of, of this creative self that we live in, this kind of prison of self that we live in, prison of self and other. So the, the heart practices open up that space. They, they break down the, the, uh, the limitations and the boundaries that, 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 the, that, the, that the thinking mind creates with the stories and the perceptions and the, the thoughts. So the heart practice kind of breaks through all of that. It, it breaks it down, it melts it down. And for a while we experience a sense of oneness where there is no self and other, and there is no uh, better or worse. There's just the heart radiating for the benefit of all beings. And because that radiating is, is going out in all directions, it's, it's enlarging the space of who we think we are. It's not like me and my body. It's got to pump out this energy. It's just, it's just a, a radiance. And so it, it can naturally lead to the experience of emptiness, the experience of letting go. It's a beautiful path if you take that path. And uh, you know, I'm aware we we're living. We live. We've been out in the in retreat for three months, and we live out in the forest in the boonies. So we kind of it's a bit of a protected life in some ways. You know, we're not in a, in a city. We're not in the midst of everything. We don't unless we go out of our way. We don't. Have, so we don't have to watch the news. You know, we're not like watching the news three times a day. It's once in a while we look at the news. So we're not bombarded in the way that probably many of you are with, uh, with human uh, misdemeanors. <laughs> but we're much more with the, the natural wisdom, I would say, and sanity. Human beings can be incredibly crazy. It's amazing how crazy we are, actually, and that we haven't completely destroyed ourselves already even though we seem to be doing a good job of trying. So uh, I must say to be, to be 
in the presence of nature, which is just doing its thing. You know, and then you see what's going on in the world, and then you're like, this is insane. And then, meanwhile, nature is continuing to do its thing. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not stirred up by it. It's not... Um, it, it, res it, it responds and uh, adapts to whatever happens. And we are part of nature, human beings. As I said, she was saying these mammal bodies, we're mammals. You know, we're part of, ma of nature. And uh, it could be that this part of nature destroys itself. It could be that it destroys a lot more with it. We don't know what, what's going to happen. It's not looking too rosy at the moment. And there's a lot of reason to be angry and a lot of reason to be afraid. And, uh, and it can be also when we're stressed and, and, and feel that fear that we just want to, we want to fill the space with something nice, you know, whether we want to zone out, watch something or eat something or listen to something that makes us feel better. And so, you know, all of those are kind of coping strategies. And, uh, but they don't really help. They help to, us to just sort of tick over, but they don't really help. And the, and the, the heart quality, especially if you cultivate all four of those heart qualities I mentioned, they do actually directly benefit us. So they give us a, a basis, whether we're, whether we're just trying to get through our life, you know, studying or working or bring up a family or, or whether, you know, whether we're activists or in politics or whatever it might be that we do in a healing profession, doesn't matter what we're doing, those four qualities actually provide a, a direct support. So uh, I think Upeka, the fourth one, is, is very, very important and often misunderstood. It's often thought of as like, uh, a balance, you're rebalanced. And that can be really stressful. <laughs> if you've got to be balanced all the time, <laughs> you know, it's kind of not like that. We, we lose balance. The, the, whole, the whole world is out of balance. And, uh, and so if we try to, if we think of upeka or equanimity as this like trying to stay even and balanced, then it's going to mean a lot of controlling and a lot of stress. But upeka is more like, like I say, seeing the bigger picture seeing the, the, the large picture. So in the, in the suttas, the Buddha speaks about world contractions and world expansions. I mean, that's like a big picture. And, um, you know, then there's the, then there's the cycle of a, of a life, a, a human life. And then there's the cycle of a day and the cycle of a breath. You know, it's like, and there's all the things that one can do in, in a life time between birth and death many many things that we can do and uh, upeka is, is, is that which holds all of that it holds the, the reality that nothing <gasps> bless you that nothing lasts forever nothing will last that forever you know and, and we live in a world that's kind of promising that things will that we can be eternally young and that you know that if we mess up this world well we'll just go to another one you know now we've discovered all of these planets out there that you know could sustain life as we know it so we'll just go to another one and you know so that's the kind of culture that we live in and the and the truth is that 
everything that has a beginning goes through a process and has an end. That's, that's the truth of it. And the more we're at odds with that, the more stress, the more sorrow, the more fear, the more desire we feel, we experience. So that quality of upeka is so, so, so important. It's like, it's taking in the reality. And it's kind of, it can be hard to take it in because we kind of don't want it. We don't want, we don't want our loved ones to die. We don't want good things to end. We, we want it to carry on beautifully forever. And, and it's like this. And it changes. So Peka as a, as a perspective or a container within which to live is so, so, so important. And that is really, it's, it's not indifference. So Upeka is not like it doesn't matter because everything changes. But it's just like the fact that everything changes. Everything that comes together falls apart. Everything that's born must age and, and die. And that's, that's how it goes. And when we really know that, then it's, it's like, then we can live with, naturally, with more compassion. The, the understanding of that it's kind of it's, it's the closest uh, of the heart qualities to emptiness, and when we really understand that, then there's naturally compassion arises, not indifference. Indifference is coldness and closedness. It's not a heart quality. It's a head quality. But uh, when we see the, the changing nature of things, we can't help but feel compassion. Yeah. And uh, and also mudita. It can you can. It's much easier to, to feel good about the good that is going on in the world for others when it's not all about me having to get what I'm supposed to do in my life because my society tells me to or my parents tell me to or whatever. It's, it's a bigger picture. We're looking at a bigger picture. And, uh, you know, if, if we only focus on, on what's wrong and what's uh, scary then we get caught in a, in a small world of fear. So, you know, mudita is reminding us to look at also what's good, what's, what's encouraging, what's powerful. And compassion, you know, it takes in, compassion takes in both uh, those who are oppressed and those who are oppressors. Because in the bigger picture of things, Nobody gets away with anything. In the, in the short term, you know, what it looks like is, you know, there are some people who are getting away with everything, can do whatever they like, have total power, are wildly irresponsible, some, and, uh, you know, seem to be just like getting away with it stock-free. And then, in, and then others who are, you know, good people are, are oppressed by that are directly, um, their lives are directly adversely affected. So on a short, you know, when you look at it on a short term, that is, that is true and that is happening. And then when you look at it on a, on a more like a karmic level, then nobody gets away with anything. We, we don't get away with anything. We have a short-term benefits. And if they're, um, if, if our good so-called good fortune is, is through the exploitation of others 
there is no way that we can avoid receiving the resultant karma of that at some point. And uh, and if you know if we're, if we're good, genuinely well intentioned, and and uh, our hearts are well aligned and our minds are well aligned, and we're experiencing exploitation, or we're experiencing the the um, direct repercussions of a misuse of power, then not to give up that integrity, not to give up the integrity because we're feeling oppressed, but to keep that integrity integrity central and do what we absolutely can and connect with who we can to um, to rise up and to strengthen our situation. But, it, but there's no... Um, well, I don't say it that way, but there's a there's a, a a little gutter, a little phrase in the suttas where the Buddha says, "Hatred never ceases through hatred; only through non-hatred does hatred cease." This is the eternal law, or the eternal truth. And there can be situations where we just feel like we're justified, you know, we're justified, and yet that's. Hatred breeds more hatred, breeds more hatred, breeds more fear, breeds more fear, breeds more um, uh, exploitation. It's like it's a, it's a vicious cycle. So taking the courage to stay with one's own truth, and one's own integrity, and live from that place, even if it might not look as good as somebody who's, who isn't doing that, who's getting a lot of worldly success, Live from the place of integrity. You cannot lose <laughs> if you do that. And so these, these heart qualities of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, they, they strengthen that place of inner, a, a place we can stand here in, within. And uh, you know, even if we're living in situations where we're being directly impacted by, you know, it might be by somebody in our family or... It, all of us by the you know the, the political powers, but even if it's like much closer, where we're just feeling it every day, if we cultivate those heart qualities, we have a strength that can't be it kind of can't be touched. It's uh, it's it's much greater than any criticism, any put down, any even even violence. It's much greater than that. So, uh, and it gives us the, the strength and the courage to, to rise up and to do what is right. So if we're just acting out of anger and aversion and fear and, and desire, then we're kind of confused, we're lost, we're caught. But, uh, you know, anger has its place in some way. So... Anger is a, is a power, is an energy. And uh, if we're just like spilling out from that, then uh, we, we create a lot of mess. But if we, can, if we can harness that anger so that it just becomes more like a pure energy, then that's, that's incredibly powerful. So sometimes it's anger that makes us rise up and, and make changes, good changes, for the benefit of many. But it's keeping that together with, with harmlessness, with integrity, with ethics.
I feel that these uh, these qualities are very, very important to cultivate always. I mean, the Buddha was teaching them 2,600 years ago, always, but especially now. Um, so that we so that we really have a, an inner strength and an inner integrity from which we can live. And also that those qualities, they do, if once we can connect in with them, touch into them, then they do break down barriers. They do break down uh, oppositions that we have with others. And, uh, and they also make our direct experience more joyful, more peaceful. So it's kind of win, 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 win. There's no reason not to. So I'd just like to offer that. And um, swap those around. So we can have a little uh, time of Q&A now. If anyone has any questions about anything that has been said today or about anything to do with the practice, this is a good time. And we'll both respond. We'll, we usually alternate, more or less. I'll put yours on. Okay, so it's not at a set place. So if you want to say something, please raise your hand and... Oh, no, I don't get your name. Yeah, in the front here. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for your wisdom. If Upeka is indeed uh, seeing the larger picture, then to me that seems intricate, intricately uh, involved with patience, patience and trust. And I wonder if you could speak to both of those, please. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hadn't. I must admit, I hadn't particularly thought of it in relation to patience because when one practices, upeka is very present. It's not like your patience is. It's got a certain sort of bearing with endurance quality to it, and um, upeka is is very much just like imminent. So it's, it's seeing right now that 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 we're at this tiny little point in this vast time scale of evolution or at this tiny little point in this immeasurable cosmos we can't know the ages of. So it's, it's a little bit more imminent. Does that make sense? Now. It's, 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 it's right. So when, when, when we practice it, like when, you, when you're in that place of, of experiencing Upeka, it's not like, okay, I'll experience it, I'll practice Upeka because I've just got to be patient. It's not like that, but it's more Ah, look at this in the in the massive time scale of things, or look at this situation. Like if we're in a, in a very, say we're in a, in a challenging situation, and then we're it's very intense because it's like uh, this is everything. Then we we recognise well, okay, there's me and this person or this situation on the planet Earth, or even in this country on planet Earth, in the solar system, in the universe. You know, it's like well, and then there's a sense of like it's not actually. It's not so painful. It's not so intense. So it's not uh, it's not bearing with or waiting or it's just knowing that 
right now we're at this, this point in, in this enormous system. Does that make sense? Yes, and therefore there might be patience uh, arising naturally mm. out of the opaque. It could be, yeah, that could the be trust. that way around. It, actually, yeah, yeah, that's that's quite, could be that way around. Yeah, and the trust side is is um, yeah, like it's a little bit more like what I was saying about trusting that we all receive the fruits of our actions, and actually, classically in the, in the Buddha's teaching the. The, the reflection on Upeka is is the reflection on karma. So, you know, one is the owner of one's karma, heir to one's karma, born of one's karma, uh, related to one's karma, abides supported by one's karma. So that's the actual classical reflection on Upeka. We don't teach it that much because it's, karma is a little bit abstract for many people in America. So... But that is the kind of classical reflection of ah, you know, and and it can be very helpful for oneself if if you're in a, you know, if you're kind of going through it, and it's like okay, who knows, who knows, you know, why this this is going on now here? Because who knows how many lifetimes of actions this this mind stream has been involved in, and and right now it's like this. So there's more of a letting go. So that so the trust comes in that. And it's not a trust that everything's going to be all right, but it's a trust in that it is all right, or it is. It kind of feels really to say it, but it is perfect in this moment, in relation to the the bigger karmic picture. And that doesn't mean it's right or good or nice or we want it that way. But it's it's like aha, uh-huh, it's like this. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you want to add anything? Thank you for being here, Ayas. Um, this might bear on what the question just you answered. Um, I feel a certain um, aloneness. The more committed I am to the practice, <laughs> and not. I mean, I go to various meditation groups, but. In the world, and and not a lack of compassion, but just a, a separation, because my path, the path is is uh, a, it's different. It's different than what the world is doing. So, would you say something about that? I, I don't know what what your question is. A kind of an isol. The more committed I feel to the practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more separate it's not a separateness from life it's just um, not connected with what the world is with what most people are doing I mean I think is it me? does that make sense? I mean I think it can be just probably like a what I would say like this maybe this kind of you know is a, is a, is a kind of a um, phase maybe which one goes sometimes through you know while you go through your layers that you feel this kind of you know a certain loneliness maybe you know or you know be feeling disconnected but i think i think if you just keep on going it's going to shift again i guess you know? i guess the way i put it is um this is just kind of i had a visual there's like two paths through life and and 
there's 90% or whatever, everybody's on this highway, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not on that road. There's not too many people I'm passing on the road I'm on, Yeah, which is okay. I mean, yeah. I've chosen it, I've cho- mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just a little... But in the big picture, you know, everybody's on the same trajectory towards waking up, and, and you know, maybe the mainstream, you know, is is like... You know, in still very involved and identified with with, with what you're saying. You know, and there's less people, uh, you know, who are living a life really focused on practice. And I mean, it's not a surprise, is it? No, it's it's not, and it doesn't. I don't waver, but I, sometimes I just feel a little bit. Oh, I don't know. Am, is is you know maybe I should have more friends, or maybe I should be going doing. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. because that's what that's what the culture tells us. And, so that's and what you have to connect with what's true for you, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting as you were saying that. I noticed like a few heads nodding in the room, and it's like, yeah, you know, it, it is like that. And there, you've got friends right here who you know right behind you, quite right along, who, <laughs> yeah. who know how it feels. You know, so it's and that's and and also that that phrase against the stream. It's like yeah, it's true. You're going against the stream of sensuality because the world is set up particularly American culture is is one of the most difficult places in that respect because it's it's established on consumerism and materialism and 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 that and that uh, requires uh, a constant feeding of the senses and a constant believing in sense you know sense gratification is the way to happiness and and we really could be young eternally if we tried hard enough and all that and it's based on that and so you're going in a different direction one of the things I find really helpful is to is to recollect those who've gone before. You know that there's that there's, this goes way back. You know there's there's thousands and thousands of people over generate you know over generations, generations, generations for two thousand six hundred much and much longer. There've been Buddhas before the Buddha Shakyamuni, and it's like okay, you know even if right now it's a bit can feel a little bit you know like we're up at Aloka Vihara, you know four nuns and. Little little place. <laughs> it's not a huge thing, but it's but there's a sense of yeah. This is there have been people throughout time who've understood this, and and it may it means something, and they've given up certain things in life because this matters, you know, because there's a, there's a truth that is that you can't give up. So, but maybe uh, there needs to be you know maybe that like you're all here you know in this room together and. I don't know. How do you how do you connect with each other? I don't know. Maybe you need to find a way, even just after this. <laughs> or maybe yeah. also you know have some um, some compassion you know with those people who are still so caught you know that they are still in that phase you know where where you were like maybe a long time ago you know still believing that you can find what you are looking for that you know that kind of contentment or peace that you can find it by following the mainstream and they haven't yet hit that, you know, that wall. So rather than, you know, this is what what I would kind of be inclined to think nowadays, you know, most of the time. Yeah. So that can help you also to, you know, have more kind of feeling good about, you know, where you are. Mm Mm-hmm.
Um, I just, uh, I'm afraid because the question would be for you, but I don't know if I have a question uh, formulated already. Mm -hmm. But you were talking about um, the capacity to bear witness to my own pain. Mm -hmm. And I have been practicing that, uh, kind of using the sabotage and myself as an emergency um, treatment. Uh, when at I'm, home, you mean? At home? At home, yes. Mm -hmm. I, I have a practice in the morning and at, in the evening, but sometimes I get triggered you know, in the afternoon. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if, if, you, if this is what you said, but when I'm trying to feel my feelings in the cushion, I think the pain is too much, and I, I try to, I think I try to explain it. I try to, instead of just feel it, even though I took a lot of um, classes and somatic experiencing uh, therapy, I, I, I think I'm feeling it, but at the same time, I'm trying to explain it or control it, mm -hmm. or thinking uh, that I go back to my story, even within the, the realm of my cushion. And um, I don't know how to stop that, that story within the... I, I know, I think you said it was mindfulness, right? Like trying to be in the present and trying to stop the triggers to, to be and to just write it. Uh, right, that, that that's intense feeling, but you expressed, you said that it was just like, like yeah, exactly, like I'm burning and it's fire, I need, I need to get out. And I usually interrupt it because I, I just can't take it and then maybe I just crawl in bed and cry it out. And, mm -hmm. But, um, so you were saying that in order to get through, we just have to practice more and just I think, you know, to maybe set up a support system, you know, so that you have some support because if you have help, you know, maybe somebody you can speak with or maybe, you know, sometimes for me it works. I have certain images, you know, which inspire my heart or listen to a particular teacher, for example, different skillful means so you can kind of you know, support yourself, you can lean into something so then you can stay a little bit longer open and, you know, not bad more, more often what you can chew, do you know, that expression, you know, not take too much. And it's like learning a skill, you know, anything, piano, driving a car, anything, takes time, you know. And I'm still working on it, you know, I meditated since 88, so I didn't think it would take that long, you know. I must say, I had wild fantasies about what a quick fix this would be. <laughs> and, you know, that gets most people into the door, you know, sort of through the door. And then once you're in, you know, after a few years you turn, oh my gosh, this is a huge kind of thing. <laughs> you know, and I'm probably not going to finish this lifetime. But, you know, it, I, I feel like more like also feel like a, a snake in a pipe, you know, it just can't turn around. You just have to keep going forward. And I just have no more time frame or anything of that nature. You know, I've given up because I've, you know, I've tried to chase it up and it, it always escapes, you know, because it's, it doesn't work that way. So, and I think 
you know what I do notice in in the practice over the years you know I was thinking a lot of questions you know would be answered but what I see more is the questions have fallen away you know get what you know how should it be and and all of those things you know uh, in terms of what I was uh, thinking what the perfect practice would be you know what I would be able to do and all of these things and it doesn't work that way you know but what what is a sign you know of of the practice kind of becoming stronger is like more willingness you know to just open to not knowing really what's going on you know so you know you don't need to explain i mean and, and if it's too painful you know and you think you can't take it anymore stop you know and then consciously say i can't take anymore now i need to kind of crawl in, in my bed you know or I need to have a coffee or whatever, you know, to just give myself a little hit or something, give myself a little reward, you know. That's okay too. But do it, you know, with, do it um, consciously, you know, rather than kind of tricking yourself or something into something, some ideal somebody you, you think you have to be, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to suffer enough, you know, that you just you just give up all hope. But it's not like a hopelessness, you know. But it's it's like a waking up, you know. It's it's it sounds kind of it is not. It's hard to sell, you know, to give up all hope because you have you're just like so finished with everything. But it's a it's a good, you know. It's it's like giving up a certain fantasy about, you know, how it should be. Yeah, and that's you know there's there's a there's tears and all kinds of things, you know, which lead to that realization. Because like some some ideals, you know, have to die and they don't die easily, you know, because we are deeply um, kind of conditioned, you know. And and this is why we need spiritual friends. You know, the Buddha said the most important exterior support for the path is spiritual friends because exactly of that, you know. Because alone you couldn't handle it, you know, all the time. Sometimes, yes, but we need friends, you know, in terms of, you know, elders we can say have gone before us and and have really, you know, kind of, uh, you know, really grown in the practice and have become good guiding stars for us, you know. That's or, Or like just friends, everyday friends, you know. And sometimes even the people, you know, who drive us up the wall are kind of friends too, you know. Because they kind of show you where you're stuck, you know. And Anna Bodhi and I, we can, uh, can you know, be very grateful to each other for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so all of that, you know, together, seeing the bigger picture, you know, that's really. And I really liked what you said, you know, about equanimity is not about, you know, um, something, you know, of of knowing that everything will be perfect in the future, but it's knowing everything is perfect right now, you know, ultimately speaking. Ultimately speaking, and there is like the ultimate view and and the conventional view, you know. Conventionally, I feel despairing, but ultimately speaking, I know when I work through this, you know, it will will make my world bigger, you know, and there will be be less um, friction. That what you know, I'm looking for that, that release from suffering comes only by going through it, you know. 
you can't kind of, there is no practice whatsoever on cell, you know, where you can just go around or above or underneath and then on the other side, you know, you have to go <laughs> through because it's a transformational practice, you know. Yeah. But you need friends because otherwise it's just too much, you know, sometimes. And mm -hmm. somebody who maybe sometimes, you know, one doesn't have like a friend where one can always go, then one has to just pay for it, you know, go to a therapist, you know. Yeah, which is, you know, there's lots of them here in the Bay Area, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a couple of other things mm -hmm. that come to my mind. I mean, that may be really hitting the mark, but I just, there's two other things that may not be about you, but I just think in terms of like feeling just in, in, uh, intense suffering and finding it really just difficult to bear. Um, bear. Bear. Yeah. <laughs> They've been a nice teddy bear. Yeah. That's nice. Teddy bear meditation, isn't it? Teddy bear meditation. That's true. I wasn't going to say that. Ajahn Brahm has teddy bear meditation. You put the teddy bear on your lap. Yeah. <laughs> no, but what I wanted to say was um, two things. One is, for one of the things that I find very helpful is, you know, because there's this sense of like me and uh, what I've got to deal with and oh my God, it's all too much. And then just laying down on the earth or even on the, on the floor and feeling the support of the earth beneath me. It's like, and just giving some of it back, you know. It's like, because we end up with too much. We end up with too much energy, and it, it just gives some of it back. The earth will recycle it beautifully. And then mm. just like, so feeling the holding, and then just giving some of it back. It doesn't have to be you holding it all. And or praying. Praying. Yeah. And I, it's not really, I don't do it much. but <laughs> and, the, and also... Um, the sense of it is an aspect of compassion where you realize god this is so painful and i'm not the only person in the world who is experiencing this now or who has experienced it before and my what what happens for me is just there's this sense of like opening up like oh yeah all my brothers and sisters who are sharing this are also in this pain or worse you know but just like yeah so then it's not so lonely and, and, and hard to bear. And then that, that sense of shared suffering, is, it, it opens the heart again. It brings a sense of uh, connection with others. Yeah, There's even you know, this Tibetan practice called Tonglen, you know, where you, for example, you have a certain kind of suffering and then you, you just breathe in you know, more of that suffering and you know, may may my kind of suffering diminish the suffering for others, you know, who are going through a, a, a similar situation. It just, you know, then it, it just, your own suffering has more, makes more, uh, makes more sense, or, you know, has, has a bigger, uh, does a bigger good for the, for the whole. And then you, you suddenly feel, feel much more willing, you know, uh, open to, to just take it on, you know. It's like a prayer also to a certain extent, you know. And, you know, not, not praying to like a man with a beard in the sky, but just praying, you know, to, to, to the whole, you know, of the universe, or the evolutionary spirit, or however you want to call it, you know, that intelligence, you know, which in we are in despair, we feel cut off from it, you know. And uh, praying can help, you know, to widen the mind, you know, so you don't feel so so uh, separate, yeah. Mm. 
Oh, I think it, didn't you have a question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I was wondering when we're practicing, is the um, practice of right view, is it what brings the natural arising of a pekka? Mm -hmm. I mean, is that a natural arising? You can't force it to be able to uh, have equanimity. Um, it's no, you can't force any of those qualities, right. actually. But it's, you, need to, yeah, you need to attune your mind in the right way. And, and yes, right view, in terms of, like, right view is, understand, it is understanding the changing nature of things. It is under, right view is, is, is recognizing all things are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. It's kind of, so that will, that will lead there, yeah. And, and to start, you know, to start with the knowing that it's not, it's not going to be perfect. We're not going to live in a perfect world. Relationships are not going to be perfect. You know, it's like starting from that place. We're already freeing ourselves from a huge amount of potential dukkha. So yeah, right view is 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 a huge yeah. That's very much so. It's, it's a kind of it leads us naturally into that opaque, yeah. But sometimes we also need to just kind of, you know, there's different ways you can approach it, I suppose. And, uh, but yes, it's, it's aligned with what's true and as right view is, yeah. I mean, right view is also like the Four Noble Truths, you know, is how right view is explained, you know. <laughs> Somebody who has right view had, has a certain amount of insight into Four Noble Truths that, you know, there is suffering, the origin of suffering, the end of suffering, the, the noble eightfold path mm -hmm. leading to the end of suffering. So, you know, knowing basically that attachment in terms of aversion and desire, you know, leads to suffering. That's right view. An, an attachment to a, a sense of self, actually. Yeah. You know, and, and then uh, manifesting in, in aversion or, or desire that sense of self. Somebody else? Thank you, yes. Um, so when you say everything is not perfect, relationships are not perfect, and the world that we live in is not perfect, and yet everything is perfect, um, I suppose when I think, yes, everything is perfect, it has to do with the absolute arising and passing in the instant, present, ongoing moment. And are you, is it, you know, things are whole and complete. And I'm, is, is that what you're meaning by perfect? I mean, what, what yeah, is perfect? No, it's true, because I've used it in two completely different ways, so it's good that you, you ask. Now, when I say that everything is perfect, I mean, when I said that earlier on, it's like, it couldn't be any other way than this. I mean it like that. Because of past causes and conditions and the coming together of things right now, it couldn't be any other way than this. So that, that, I, that's the kind of perfection I'm meaning then. And when I say... Um, it's the limitation of words, isn't it? Then when I say, um, you know, to expect life to be perfect or to expect relationships to be perfect will be, will be dukkha. That's meaning more like, I want it all to be the way I think it should be, you know. <laughs> 
perfect according to my tastes. <laughs> it's not going to be like that, you know, however much we want it to be, because it's much more complex than that, you know. So on an ultimate level, it's all perfect. And on a, on a conventional level, it, it kind of cannot be perfect because it's all changing all the time. Things are falling apart all the time, growing all the time. So, And uh, and the nature of, of the conditioned realm is that there will always be something that's not quite right, even if you can get it really almost perfect. There will always be something that's kind of, you know, it's just how it is. It's, made, it's meant to be like that way. And also it can be, you know, for moments, these peak experiences, you know, it can be perfect for a moment or two, but then, you know, it changes, it changes again. <laughs> when it's on the perfect peak, you know, it's going to go down just right then. And this is just the nature of, of a, a constant changing, you know, world. Well, no, the, the, par the paradox, you know, this is like the paradox of the imperfection of the conventional realm is perfectly, you know, suited to wake us up, mm -hmm. you know, so into good. the greater perfection. Mm -hmm. Because this if we don't have anything to learn, let's say, you know, if we would be already enlightened, we wouldn't be here, you know, in well, this, you know... <laughs> We wouldn't be here because we have nothing to learn. So, and the samsara, you know, like it's called the, the, con, the conventional realm where we are, it can't be fixed, you know. It's like having a big house, you start painting here, and when you finish painting there, then it's, it's already broken up there again, you know. It's like this. It can't be fixed. And, but it's a perfect learning ground, you know, about giving up that dream that it could be fixed. And they can only you know, happen through experiencing it deep enough, you know. And the meditation is, let's say, the technology, you know, which, which helps us to experience it deeper and deeper so that these very deep-seated expectations, let's say, you know, that they're just going to be let go of, you know. And then you still live in this imperfect perfection, you know, but you are not anymore suffering from it you know you still have a pain if you break your leg or have some other pain but you're not gonna think there's anything wrong with that you know mm. that's the difference that you then you see this is it couldn't be otherwise you know because we are old we get old we are get sick and we die and that's just how it is like a flower you don't cry you know if a flower wilts and and goes back into the earth it's and everything is like this, you know. And but we need to, to do a lot of, of very deep work, you know, to inform ourselves so deeply that we really are liberated, you know, from those wrong views. And for that, the imperfection is perfect, you know, because if everything would be not like that, you would never be inclined to learn anything, you know. This is why it said, the human realm is the best one for waking up, you know, because the mix be between pleasure and pain in this realm is such like that we can learn. Because if, if we are in a different one, there is more suffering, then we are so caught up, we can't have no space to learn. And if we're like born like in the heavens, let's say, that everything is so pleasant, there is no motivation to learn. So th this is where it said, you know, in the scriptures, that this is the perfect place. 
to reincarnate as a human being. So don't waste it, you know, because you're not sure what's going to happen next time around, you know. Get the make maximum out of it in terms of in learning, you know. I think I yeah. had a question. One more, isn't it? And then Did we you have, have a question? Something yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Hi, I um, had a question about um, uh, just kind of just the reaction, the reactionary type of nature of like. Uh, what I notice for me is like um, the, what my practice is helping me with is um, the like conditioning of the like the emotional things that come up as a result of the way that I've been conditioned. For example, like um, if someone says something to me that feels unpleasant and they may not mean it. But it feels really unpleasant. Then this like anger rises up, um, and then it's like, then it causes this karma that happens, right? Like the, then I like, I'll show that anger in whatever way, and then the other person then, you know, reacts mm-hmm. back, and then it becomes this like kind mm-hmm. of ping pong. Yeah, and yeah, ping um, pong. so I think what I notice is the the kind of like. Like a like a like a feeling of like closing down, and it almost feels like a like a like a spell. Like when it comes over me, like I don't want to like open back up. I want I'm angry, mm-hmm. and it feels almost like a deliciousness. So like mm-hmm. a, it feels like I have a right to be in this place, mm-hmm. and you're gonna know it. And so it's like, I'm my question is like how. Do you have any suggestions on the road to like, because it's not going to happen overnight. I know, I know this. It's been many, many years of like being this way. So like, but I, I'm seeing it. I'm aware of it. So what's the suggestion on how to like slowly go the other way so that I'm not always leaning into the deliciousness of like the natural reactionary? Mm-hmm. I mean, as you describe, it's it's it's, it's rare that anyone actually says that because I always feel that like that's part of anger. Is there's this kind of like, you know, there's a sense of being right and there's a certain power and there is a certain um, ple- there can be a certain pleasure in it. Mostly, people say, no, no, it's really unpleasant. But I think it's really true, and that's why it becomes kind of addictive. But as you as you described it so well, there, I had this image of of somebody licking some nice tasting poison off the edge of a, of a sharp knife. <laughs> that was the image that came when you were talking. It's like, mmm, it's really delicious. Ow, 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 you know. And then you feel sick afterwards, you know. It's, it's kind of like that. So you, you kind of, you know, it's like you, you mentioned a little bit the, the ping pong thing. That it's, ping pong is uh, ping pong with hand grenades, you know. It, it's, it's serious. So it's the it, when you when you really connect with the, with the suffering of it, then you get the incentive to change. And as long as you're still enjoying the taste of that poison on the sharp knife, you're going to keep licking that knife, you know, and, and keep doing it. But if you really see the the harmful effects that it has on your relationships with others, and 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 maybe on yourself when you when you're alone, and and how people relate to you, and how you see that you've maybe hurt people, then 
that becomes the incentive to change. And, uh, you know, the first thing is to know it, to know the pattern, and then to try and restrain action. So there's the feeling, and this is the, what the meditation practice gives us. It gives us a little space. It gives us a bit of room to, it, to know the difference between what we feel and what comes out of our mouth or what comes out of our reactivity, a physical response. And so it might be that's a, like a hair trigger response for you. And so it's, it's, somebody says something and you just, it just comes out like that. So f start off with try to try to zip it up. You know, and, and like, in, and you feel that you feel the feeling, and maybe you look at the person really angry, and maybe you walk away and and say things under your breath to start with. But you, you, the first thing is just not to throw it out there, and then and make it make an, a determination. You know, and then each time you do it, realize, ah, oh, okay, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to manage it. It's always, it's almost like working with an addiction. Actually, you know, it's like you want to get off that addiction, and so you tell yourself, no, I'm going to stop, and then you can't stop. You can't stop. And, but then the more aware you are, the more you see the harm of following the addiction. And then, just, and then so it starts with just like kind of forcible restraint of oneself, and then, and then gradually that, that will get easier. And then, they, and then once there's, there's more control over not throwing it out at other people, well, not well. Anyway, it's kind of simultaneous. As you practice that, you have to learn to be with the feeling. So basically, what happens with that, with that anger is you somebody says something or does something or looks at you in a certain way, and then you feel that painful feeling inside, and then anger arises, and then and then there's and then ple pleasant feeling that's there for a little while. It's all feeling. That's all that's going on, and then the other person gets that painful feeling you had you've given it to them and then they're upset you know they didn't want it it wasn't theirs you know and, and so then you create this this really uh difficult world that you, to, to live in so the key is learning how to be with the painful feeling in the first place and knowing like we're saying about the right view knowing that it's this is you know this is this is dukkha this is painful it, it, it has a cause the cause is attachment and and if they can be letting go and it well letting go and knowing it will it'll change it's changing it's not going to last forever and and watching that process letting it be there arise the heat of it making some space for it feeling the painful feeling of it knowing it's going to change watching it change watching it cease and it's like what a relief and and when you can get to the point where you can watch that whole process without acting or speaking on it it's, you, you gain power in yourself. You gain great strength in yourself. And then the more you do it, the more easy it will get. And then the less easy it is for people to trigger you because you're learning how to, to take care of those, those, those triggers yourself. So that's the kind of, you know, that's the way it works. And then there are ways you can, you can get, you know, you can, you can do, I think somatic experiencing is a very good, way of, of learning what happens, you know, and, and how to change those those stuck patterns in oneself. You know, that's also, they, you can get help in different ways of learning how to transform it. So you can just do it yourself or you can get a bit of help. But that's kind of what you have to do is just, first of all, stop it coming out of here and then know what it feels like here. Make space for it and then 
get to know get to know the the arising and passing away of it and it's it's not easy and it's much easier to throw it out at somebody else but but when you stay well it's not easier because it makes your life much more miserable but it feels easier to throw it out at somebody else but when you when you don't do that and you stay with that feeling just know that this is the feeling that i was going to give to them you know and and like you said at the very beginning you don't they may be doing they may have said something unintentionally they may not completely not know that they're stepping on a tender place and it's like oh this is the feeling i was going to give to them do i want to do that or do i want to just let it let it cease here Is there anything? You want? One more? One more question. Uh, who is who yeah. would like? Okay. Oh, actually, at the back there. Yeah. Sorry. And then uh, we have a bit of walking meditation. Mm -hmm. Yes? Uh, so you talked about the current world we live in. Um, a lot of attention. The, the world we live in is quite materialistic in nature. There's a lot of attention, yeah. lot of attention paid to pleasing your senses. The thing that the Buddha exactly warns against: the the craving and the thirst and the desire and the attachment and so on and so forth. Um, when coming to Spirit Rock or doing, I mean, we we there's a sort of a refuge where you can sort of calm your nervous system, calm your calm yourself. To, to deal with the chaos outside. But when you de deal with day-to-day -day things, I mean, in, at work or uh, at work or things like, say, for example, people, people hiding information, uh, people acting, I mean, the thing that, that they talked about, essentially things like people, like, say, hurting you by some means or not. How is it uh, practical to apply these four Brahma Viharas Things like, I mean, loving kindness, um, loving kindness or compassion. I mean, compassion to people who are underprivileged, obviously. But then, how do you practice this in the practical world? I think you know you when have you're to, hurt. You have to when kind of hurt. make priorities in your life. You know, so carve out a bit of space. You know, so that you have time to practice. Is number one, I think. And then you have to start with yourself. Because you, if you, you have to start with just to give yourself, you know, those Brahmaviharas first, and then you can also, you know, you feel a bit more resourced, so you can also spread it out. And and you know, if you feel like you don't have time in your life, you feel overwhelmed by all of your duties and so on. I think the first thing is really to see if there is there one or two or three things you can just not do, you know, in your life. So that there is more space, because that without having a, a little bit of time, you know, it's never going to happen, you know, because yeah, the pace is so fast. Even you, know, you have all the good intentions and everything, but because of the speed and of everything, it, it, you you get lost again and again. So, to re if if you're really serious about this, you have to really make it the center, you know. That doesn't mean you need to shave your head and become a mahakwanan. But to really set, you know, to make clear decisions and let go of a few things, and that might first might look impossible, but if you really put your mind to it, you'll be able to do that, you know. And then take it from there, you know. And then you you might have less 
of the usual distractions, but you, you might get a taste of this other way, you know, of um, uh, taking care of, of yourself, you know. And, and then, you know, it, it will take on strength. It's just like one, it, it, the most important thing is to just make a step in that direction and then make the next step. And you don't, you don't know the whole, you know, the whole path, but you just, you, you just need to know the next step and do it. And then the next step will become apparent. You know, this is what I said before, is like you are with the not knowing, you are bearing witness to what's going on and then let the action arise, you know. But you, you have to really fully, um, you know, put your whole being into that quest, you know. If you only come here to a little day long, you know, or if you to twice a year or something, you know, that, that, <laughs> that doesn't cut the thing, you know. It, it, really needs, uh, it really needs a clear priorities. A sense of urgency, you know, we would say. And classically is, you know, the reflection on death arouses the old age, sickness and death. You know, we don't know when we're going to die. It could be today when you drive home. So what would you have liked to do with your life? You know, you think that way when you go to bed in, in the evening. Maybe I won't wake up tomorrow. You know, what would I have liked to do with my life? Then you'll know what, what is your priorities and then you start acting on it. And it might all sound kind of not possible to do, but this, it isn't so, you know. If we really start that process, then the whole universe will support it, you know. It sounds kind of weird, but that's how it is. But you have to really uh, want it, you know, with your heart. Can add a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um. And also, you know, as, I think it's really important what I said she was saying is that in terms of you, you need to do the practice when you're not in, in that situation so that you have it accessible when you are in it. So if you just like hear about it, think about it, and then think, well, okay, well, I'll wait till somebody's being really difficult and then I'll try and cultivate loving kindness, you know, it's not going to work. So it's, it's more like you, you develop a resource here, a bank account here, and then, and then you've got it when, when the situations arise. And, and compassion, for example, it isn't always it isn't always sweet. Sometimes compassion is sharp. You know, compassion is like not wanting somebody to, to be harmed, to harm themselves. So if somebody's relating, if somebody's relating to you in, a, in, a, in a, an offensive way or an abusive way, sometimes the compassionate thing is to say a sharp word of like enough already, you know, or whatever it is. But it's but you're coming from a, cl- a clarity of you know not wanting that person to. Being create, to create unwholesome karma rather than I'm angry because you're hurting me. It's very different. And, and you can only get there by doing that practice in less challenging circumstances. But it is, a, it is a natural kind of wisdom that arises through the practice that then is practical. It's practical. And, and also, um, you know, the more one cultivates those practices and the more there's a sense of selflessness actually because you kind of it does sort of dissolve the sense of self then there's less of, of a somebody to be in the firing line in the first place it's harder for people to to attack you could say because it's not it's not they're not going to get the, you know there's not a there's not a, a volatile response that will give some kind of gratification 
So, but it is a it is a process. It's a, it's a, it's a practice. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.